Good afternoon. I'd like to call the regular meeting of the Health Service Board to order for our Thursday, April 23rd, 2023 meeting. Would you please join me in saying the Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. We'll now have the roll call by our board secretary. Thank you, President Scott. Uh, a roll call starting with President Scott. Present. Vice President Howe. Present. Commissioner Breslin is absent. Uh, Commissioner Canning. Present. Commissioner Follinsby is excused, and Commissioner Zvansky. Present. With that, we have quorum. Thank you. Uh, we are now going to move to item number three on our agenda, which is general public comment. And I'll be pulling up a slide for those watching and then be reading those instructions aloud. She was. Is there general public comment? Yes. If we can, if you would, uh, uh, you're, if you wish to disclose your name, you may do so. And then, in addition, we'd like to have you look like you're eating the microphone. <laughs> I, you've got to come close in order for us to hear you and for you to be heard by everyone. Thank you. Um, uh, so the reason why I'm here today is basically just to, you know, touch base to see how you guys, you know, are, what your items are on, uh, for debate today and see how I can get involved. Um, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to involve myself in the community. i like to volunteer. Um, I like to be active. I like, um, you know, uh, various things. I like helping out, um, wherever I can, wherever, you know, um, I'm allowed and, uh, things of that sort. So. Bonsky, uh, Swansky, uh, Scott, Hale, and Canning. So very nice to meet you. I might run into you somewhere, you know, in the hallways or something like that. And um, I just wanted to say hello and things of that sort, okay? Thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. And Is there any other comment? President Scott, I'll be reading um, the instructions aloud for anyone joining virtually. All right, please do. Okay. So... Uh, 
The Health Service Board welcomes all public participation during these public comment periods, and there will be an opportunity for general public comment at the beginning of the meeting and an opportunity to comment on each item on the agenda. The in-person public comment will be first, uh, and then we will be moving on to remote public comment. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes in length, unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. And the Health Service Board will hear up to 30 minutes of remote public comment total for each agenda item. That remote public comment from each person will receive, um, excuse me, remote public comment from people who have received an accommodation due to a disability will not count towards that 30 minute limit. And members of the public attending the meeting via phone, you can dial in by calling 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2592-183-9383, then press pound. You'll be prompted to enter the webinar password, which is 1145, then press pound. Press star three to be added to the public comment queue, and you'll hear the prompt, you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait until the host calls on you. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. You'll be muted when your time has expired. For those watching via WebEx, please press the raise hand icon to be placed in the queue to speak. A raised hand will appear next to your name. When you're unmuted in the system, a request to unmute will appear on your screen. Please select unmute to speak. Once you hear each hear me say, welcome caller, you can begin speaking. When your time has expired, you will be muted. Please click on the raise hand icon to lower your hand. Members of the public are encouraged to state their name clearly, although you may remain, remain anonymous. I'll give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining, and when your three minutes have ended, I'll thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and I'll unmute the next caller. We'd like to thank SFGovTV and Media Services for sharing this meeting with the public. And we can invite anyone else to approach the podium for any in-person comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we will move to our remote public comment, and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have two callers on the phone line. Zero callers are specifically at the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers in the line, you must dial star three now if you wish to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Uh, do you wish to cover the email that we received? Yes, I can at do this that point? as a written public uh, comment. Board, board Secretary, uh, as many of you know, or maybe you don't know, that we have a uh, email address for any of our members in the general public to send us concerns, raise questions about benefits or whatever. And from time to time, uh, these emails don't fit into uh, uh, a benefits category per se, but it's just a person raising a question generally, and they're not here in person to do so. So uh, sometimes we'll have these emails read, other times they've been responded to uh, through our staff or what have you. So if you would, Board Secretary. 
Thank you, President. So this email came in, and I'll be summarizing it, um, from an active employee, Paul Trapani, and is discussing that their dental provider had been dropped from the Delta Dental Plan that the city provides and no longer accepts the coverage. Uh, he contacted six dental providers and found one on the seventh try. Um, he also attached um, some coverage options and costs um, and wanted to also make sure that the board was aware that the California Dental Association had filed a lawsuit against Delta California as there are not enough dental providers to care for the Delta Care members. He offered dental insurance providers that may have better choices for CCSF employees, including MetLife PPO, PDP, BEAM, Aetna PPO, and Level Benefits. And he thanked the board. All right, thank you. Uh, we'll. Uh, take that under staff review, but I did want to highlight it at this time. So public comment is closed. We'll now move to item four. Thank you, President Scott. Uh, agenda item number four is the approval of the minutes of the meeting set forth below, which is the February 6th Finance uh, and Budget Committee, the February 6th Governance Committee, and the March 23rd Regular Health Service Board meeting. Is I'm ready to entertain a motion for the adoption of these minutes as outlined, and it may seem like we're doing deja vu uh, with the governance committee of May the or February 6th and the finance committee of February 6th. Upon checking, contrary to the public impression that I we left I left at the last meeting, these minutes were not approved. And so, therefore, we need to approve them today. And uh, the difference was the board secretary knew that the meetings had occurred on the 6th, and our board meeting was on the 9th, and she did not have the minutes ready in three days. So that's why they were on the agenda the last time. And since we didn't approve them the last time, thinking that they had been approved previously, <laughs> we're approving them today. Everyone got that clear? So I'm calling for a motion for their adoption at this time. Mr. President, I move that we uh, adopt and approve the minutes of the uh, February 6th Finance and Budget Committee meeting, as well as the February 6th Governance Committee meeting, uh, as well as the March 23rd, <coughs> uh, 2023 Regular Health Service Board meeting. Second. All right, it's been properly moved and seconded that the minutes as described in the agenda be approved. Uh, also, I understand that uh, Vice President Howe has had some edits for the regular board meeting uh, on March the 23rd. It was largely the presence of one board member uh, or the absence of one board member and it was listed in the minutes that, that the person was present when they weren't here and that's been, will be corrected. All right. Uh, is there any further discussion from the board about any of these minutes or comments or edits? If not, we'll have public comment. Thank you, board president. I'll be displaying our instructions for those joining us online. So public comment is now open. Our instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SGOV TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. 
We'll begin with any in-person public comment, and no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to a remote public comment, and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue. Board Secretary, we have two callers on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers on the line, you must dial star three now if you wish to join public comment with a specific agenda item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. Before we take a vote on this item, there was a question of clarification that I wanted to make based upon the new uh, ordinance or guidelines to uh, city commissions and so forth following COVID. We're now doing everything in person. And a question that was raised at the last meeting was where we're going to continue public comment and there's guidance on that and we're complying with that. But also during the course of the last meeting, it was a question as to whether we needed to have a roll call vote for each action item or could we just as we have historically done, say all those in favor, say aye, all those opposed, say nay, uh, any extensions. Uh, well, we've gotten clarification under the new guidance we need to have a roll call vote because there are indeed people who may be turned in, tuned in, that are using the closed caption uh, feature or have other impairments. And so to assure that everyone knows how this board votes, we will have a roll call vote after each action item. Thank you. So we'll have a roll call vote on the approval of the minutes. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe? Aye. Commissioner Canning? Aye. And Commissioner Zavansky? Aye. It passes unanimously. We'll now move to uh, the President's report. So agenda item number five, President's report, presented by President Scott. Yes, uh, one of the agenda items that is coming up today is the annual report for the health system. And there is contained in that report a president's statement on behalf of the Health Service System Board that I'd like to read into the record as my report for this uh, meeting. The San Francisco Health Service System Board is dedicated to making high quality and affordable medical, dental, and vision care available to SFHSS members and administering the trust in accordance with the city charter and solely for the benefit of the members. The mission, vision, and core values of the HSS strategic plan have framed our efforts for the results and accomplishments design, defined in this year's annual report. In addition to the department executive leadership changes this year, this has been uh, particularly challenging to HHS operations in meeting our high service, uh, high standards of client service. On behalf of the HSS board, I wish to commend the HSS leadership and administrative staff, and I'm talking about all of those who are uh, doing the back office work of claims and 
and uh, customer service and phone calls and all of the other things that our team members do. Under the outstanding leadership of Executive Director Abby Yant for their continued commitment and unswavering dedication to providing quality service to HSS members in these extraordinary times. The board renews its commitment to be, an act, to be active in the implementation, assessment, communication, and evaluation of the health service system uh, strategic plan for the upcoming years of 2023 to, and beyond. As we seek to better serve our members through responsible stewardship of the benefits administration process. And I sign that on behalf of myself and the Board of Directors. And uh, we'll hear more detail about the accomplishments of this year's uh, strategic plan uh, in our annual report item on the agenda. But I wanted to be sure that this statement on behalf of the Board was highlighted at this time. Uh, and we're now open for any public comment. Am I coming through now? Okay. I'll be reading um, public comment instru instructions aloud and viewing them online. So one moment, please. seems that we're not able to view it online, so I'll be reading um, them aloud and give a, a short pause so anyone can catch up. So public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on, um, will be hopefully displayed on the screen in a moment, but we'll give a five second additional time for people to join and watch and listen in. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, please press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll pause for five seconds just to make sure that message goes through all of our channels. And we'll begin with our in-person public comment. No one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our virtual public comment, and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have two callers on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers on the line, you must dial star three now if you wish to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We'll wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. <coughs> Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now move to uh, agenda number six, item number six. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number six is the director's report. This is a discussion item and will be presented by Executive Director Abby Yank. 
Good afternoon, Commissioners. Abby Yan, Executive Director, San Francisco Health Service System. <clears throat> In my director's report today, I did uh, update uh, everyone with the fact that we are still in negotiations with the mayor's office regarding our budget. It is a day-by-day, hour-by-hour wrestling match. Um, we will keep you posted once, well, we'll all know what the mayor's budget is on May 1st. Um, the uh, school district, uh, we've had some um, uh, successful communications with leadership at the school district to try to get a better um, cadence to our regular meetings so that there's clarity around progress and, and how we're working together. So uh, that uh, has been very helpful. Um, they're aware that the, our board is interested and uh, understand that we will be reporting on our um, status of this uh, emergency problem that they have at the district on a regular basis. They have um, full intention to have everything resolved by October. Um, so they've got a long list of things beyond the benefits problem that uh, compete for resources. Uh, we understand and appreciate how difficult that is for their team. Um, and so we do want, we are being very supportive of them because uh, in many ways, um, some of our expertise with Rin and her team actually can be very helpful to them, and so, uh, as well as the controller's office. So it's, we're all in and um, trying to get things finished. I'm sure they'd much rather be putting their resources to other endeavors as well. Um, notice the the blackout notice is still in effect. Um, Mike Clark from Aon has provided the health value. Um, initiative benchmarking study that is in your packet. Um, it just reminds us of the uh, rich benefits that our members uh, enjoy um, as comparison to um, uh, other benchmarks. Um, we, um, I did wanna highlight the, uh, in our operations report, um, as we've spoken the last several months, we do continue to have a, an unacceptable high number of vacancies in our department. We continue to work uh, with DHR on um, uh, expedite, expediting resources. We did um, uh, agree to in our funding uh, a recruiter to help with our efforts. Our member services team led by um, Olga, Str <laughs> I'm gonna mess up your name, Olga, I'm so sorry. Um, and uh, under the guidance of, of uh, Ray Gien, um, are working really hard uh, to meet the needs of our members. Um, none of us are really satisfied with the situation that we're currently in. Uh, the labor union is keenly interested in helping resolve this problem as well, so we're in active discussions with them. Uh, so more to come. Um, we are getting some progress. We added three people this week to our team. Uh, so that was a welcome um, uh, to bring people on board. So we will keep you informed uh, as we go. Uh, I think the um, other thing that's not in the director's report, uh, uh, my apologies, uh, but we have a little time yet, but I did wanna let you know that uh, the Tim Brown from UC Berkeley that did this study with Blue Shield and ourselves on the ACO and has had that published um, is going to, we're putting together a webinar that uh, Catalyst for Payment Reform is doing on May 17th. So we will send you the particulars. Um, we do have plenty of time to be sure that if you wanna watch it live, we can uh, get you access to that. Um, I would remind the board members that there are educational hours attached to any webinars. Yep. Oh yeah, that's great. Nice incentive. 
Uh, so, yeah, I think those are the highlights, um, and I'll take any questions. Well, I do just have a quick observation, Abby, and I know that you have been diligently working this issue of trying to get our staff recruitment up and people on board and so forth, and we've expressed our concern, and I want you to know that this board is uh, in full support of all of the uh, tools that you're trying to turn both internally and externally to help support this uh, issue. We know that it is of concern to you, and we want you to know that you have our full support, you and the staff, for all that you're doing day in and day out. And I stress both looking at internal resources and means as well as external means. So uh, my hope is that we will continue to see the kind of progress that we've seen over the past month. And we thank the operations manager for being here today representing our team. So thank you. That's all that I have. Are there other comments or queries from the board? I'd just like to make a comment that we welcome our new staff um, and we look forward to filling our other vacancies, but I hope that our, our new staff feels welcome and um, that we look forward to them joining the full team. I think we have an exceptional uh, department and exceptional staff and um, we welcome these three new members um, and um, just let them know that the board is really happy they're here. Thank you. And if I may, um, just one last thing. I did, did not call out the, um, the fact that it's National Minority Health Month. And I, the reason I call this out, I'll tie it to some remarks I make during the annual report. But we are um, at, at HSS as well as I just see this at every level within the industry getting more and more attuned uh, to uh, race inequities um, and other social drivers of health. And I think it's just remarkable. I have to, I, I sort of have to pinch myself once in a while going, I never really thought we'd get this far. And so I think it's going to be great the years to come as people have more in-depth understanding of how health is different amongst um, our populations. Yeah. We can um, more be more personalized in that care to get better outcomes. So, thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or observations from the board on the director's report? If not, we'll go to public comment at this time. Thank you, President Scott. I'll be pulling up the instructions and reading a short overview in just a moment. So public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first to then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, pre please press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting online, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment to speak. We'll begin with our in-person public comment and no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our remote public comment and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have three callers on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers on the line, 
You must dial star three now if you wish to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We'll wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now move to item number seven. Agenda item number seven is SFHSS financial report as of February 28th, 2023. This is a discussion item and will be presented by SFHSS Chief Financial Officer Iftikhar Hussein. <laughs> Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Chief Financial Officer. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah, glad to be here. All right, so the uh, report this month is uh, similar to last month. The, uh, in the Benefit Trust Fund, we are expecting a year-end um, decrease of $10 million, really due to stabilization where past uh, surpluses are used to reduce current year rates. Um, our net claims experience for the current year is, um, is negative. We are seeing higher claims in the Access Plus Blue Shield product. Um, and um, um, you'll hear more about that as we set rates for, the fall, as for, for future years. Um, the pharmacy rebates are on track for 14.8 million for the, uh, for the year. And um, uh, we're projecting interest about 2 million for the year, much higher than prior years because of higher interest rates. Uh, the health sustainability program actually currently is at a surplus because of delayed projects, uh, but um, the projection is to close out the year at budget. And in the general fund, we are uh, substantially ahead of budget because of vacancies uh, that we've talked about earlier. Um, I do want also, want, also want to add a bu uh, budget update. Um, um, the, uh, the city's projected revenues are uh, uh, declining. Uh, and so the mayor staff has asked us to, um, they've actually doubled our, our target for reductions in expenses. And so we are uh, negotiating right now. And then, uh, so we'll up, let, update you as uh, things change. So is this for the coming fiscal year? They've increased it from 200 to $400,000, is that That is correct, okay. yes. Thank you. Are there quest other questions from members of the board? Yeah, just a quick question, if the car is, it, what about the projections for year two? Because of the two-year budget cycle. Uh, is this, um, so it's another 100000 for the following year. I see. Yes. Okay, thank you. Other questions from board members? Hearing none, we'll now have public comment. Thank you, President Scott. We'll be pulling up those instructions for anyone joining us online, and I'll be reading a short introduction. <clears throat> Our public, let's see. So public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to add to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on the WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. Anyone approaching the podium? No one has approached the podium, so we will move to remote public comment, and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue. Board Secretary, we have three callers on the phone line. 
Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers on the line. You must dial star three now if you wish to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now move to item number eight, which is an action item. Agenda item number eight is SFHSS 2022 annual report. It's an action item and will be presented by SFHSS Executive Director Abby Ant. Good afternoon, commissioners. I get a different view of you. <laughs> Abby Yant, uh, Executive Director, uh, San Francisco Health Service System. Uh, good afternoon. I'm here to give a brief uh, overview of the annual report that uh, the complete version is in your packet, and I'll be speaking to a shortened presentation version here today. Um, and that we're highlighting the strategic plan from the years 2020 to 2022 in this report. Uh, as you know, we're in a transition year, uh, and um, I have, and this board has adopted a strategic plan for 22 through 25. Um, <clears throat> so I do want to um, thank you and and uh, recognize, recognize that our communications team, led by Jessica She, um, has been working uh, with us on on innovative ways to really engage our membership. And, uh, and one of the things that we've done is change the format of the annual report from reporting on each division, division's core business activities, which are, are relevant and important. Um, uh, however, and if we're going to um, align the annual report with the strategic plan, uh, some of those activities will be um, recorded elsewhere. And so, uh, and, and we're uh, are learning how our divisions um, and working being able to present how collaborative most of our work is. It's, it's really not, people don't work in isolation. There's not, there's really no silos uh, for the most part. Um, and part of that is just our physical location. We're able to really work together closely. Um, and I also want to acknowledge uh, Ryan Close for his uh, graphic design skills and abilities. He's magical um, in being able to make these uh, reports really look wonderful. Moving on, uh, who we serve, uh, I think you saw Ren Coleridge's um, demographic report uh, recently, so we grabbed a couple of snapshots from that to put in this report to just highlight the, uh, the our membership, uh, 122,000 uh, covered lives, uh, 81,000 active, 40,000 retired, uh, so you're very familiar with that and understand the sheer volume of the work that we do. Uh, one of the strategic goals uh, is, is that is foundational to everything we do is organizational excellence. Um, the member services staff under the leadership of Olga Stravinskaya proved um, the hybrid, uh, provided the hybrid member services model when we return to in-person supporting um, new employee orientations as well as uh, virtual consultations. So we're very much in a, in a hybrid world, you know, so our staff uh, has various work schedules uh, that allow them to work at home some days and in the office others. Uh, we're constantly monitoring uh, our abilities in that regard so that we have the right number of people on staff. Uh, 
<clears throat> Olga did design and has been very successful in having uh, appointments scheduled, uh, particularly for some of our people that are um, transitioning to retirement. Those decisions can be quite emotional and complex, uh, and so it's helpful to have an appointment uh, to be able to manage that. Um, uh, I also want to mention how Ray uh, Guillen has led the operations team to um, to complete a sample size dependent eligibility verification audit, as this board well knows. Um, we had an outside vendor assist with uh, auditing, auditing our population in the past, um, so we uh, learned a lot from that, that process, have done it ourselves once. Uh, we'll be doing it again, uh, not quite sure when and what population we'll select, but we are committed to doing that on a fairly consistent basis so that our members, the, the, the biggest message gets out that, um, if you're trying to bend the rules, you may get caught. Uh, so we, um, I think that's the uh, very intended consequence of doing these DIVA audits. It's not just to uh, sort of punish particular individuals. It's really to send the message that this, this will not be tolerated. Um, so uh, the next slide, we talk about um, you know sustaining our, our cost and uh, managing our rate increases well ahead of uh, benchmarks in 22. Um, we, uh, Michael Visconti leads his team in uh, contracts administration, and he's, uh, they're very diligent in getting uh, contracts through. They have quite a number that they are working on uh, simultaneously uh, much of the time, so the organizational skills and the tenacity and persistence in seeing these processes through, because they do not move by themselves. Um, they really require uh, a, a force to be reckoned with in getting things, keeping things moving, and that's all sizes of contracts, whether it be the large health medical plan providers um, or uh, small consulting services that we may use to help with uh, very specific projects. Uh, next slide, we uh, focus, uh, again, I'm focusing on the strategic goals um, in that uh, I want to commend the enterprise uh, systems and analytics team under Rin Coleridge's leadership. For years, they've developed complex workarounds to administer our split Medicare family plans. And uh, with the board's uh, approval, we did uh, undo that this last year. And I think it really uh, spoke well to the experience of our team as well as the health plan teams that that uh, project went very smoothly. Um, and uh, it's much appreciated that we had the profession, the, the quality of the professionals to work on that to really not cause a huge disruption for our members. So that was really terrific. Um, the finance team under Iftikhar Hussein's leadership has um, demonstrated tremendous efficiencies. Um, they just process a whole lot of <laughs> transactions on the PeopleSoft software, and every time I have to do something in there, I need somebody at my shoulder telling me what to do. It's it's not an intuitive software. It really takes a lot of um, trained eyes and experience to be able to manage uh, the software that the city uses for their um, vast numbers of transactions. Um, the next slide where we talk about tracking population to improve race equity, um, again, I did pull this from uh, RIN's uh, demographics uh, uh, report, um, and the equity uh, did not rise to the strategic planning level in the reporting period I'm speaking to, but we were working on it. 
So since it is a leading uh, strategic goal in our plan going forward, I wanted to draw our attention to some of the work that we at HSS have been doing in partnership with the uh, Department of Human Resources. I think as everyone knows, there were many, um, a long period of time where employers were not at all encouraged, in fact, discouraged from collecting race data from their employees uh, in the employment process. And so developing uh, uh, culturally sensitive procedures and processes and training staff to collect that information is having an impact here in San Francisco. And we are seeing the numbers of, uh, of um, our members are active employees that are uh, willing to give their race data upon employment, and that is helping us understand who our population is. And uh, can and we're working uh, also in conjunction with all of the health plans are are learning how to do this as well. Um, so I, I think we will, and and there are some variations in how that data is collected or imputed in many cases. Um, and I think that's something that we'll see progress on over the coming years, but I think it's very telling that uh, the city's very committed to race equity and so are our workforce that they're willing to share that data with us. So the, in the summary of our accomplishments, um, our well-being and EAP teams under Carrie Bashir's leadership, they, they continue to um, ra raise the bar on uh, all the services that they provide. We've um, really worked hard to expand the EAP programs for our first responders with fire and sheet and sheriffs at the table really taking that police model that's been in place for 20 plus years and stabilizing it um, and extending it into uh, fire and sheriffs. Um, the um, well-being services has also you know, continued to do flu clinics and in-person health fairs and um, uh, helped us also put out our, our mental health forum. So it's been a really rich year of experience uh, and work for the well-being program. Um, so our looking forward to uh, being able to report out on our strategic goals uh, at towards the end of uh, at the end of this year. Uh, we did have our first quarterly meeting on strategic plan progress just yesterday, and um, I have to say it's one of these parts that's just kind of. Um, magic in the um, planning process is how, you know, when you do a collaborative planning process and you involve all the people that do have a responsibility for carrying this out, uh, the work gets done. And um, when Jessica pulled this information together for our annual report, it was quite remarkable um, how, how we ha already have many of the tools in place to measure our progress uh, for the strategic plan going forward. And um, so it we're on track uh, to be able to um, measure our progress and report out to you in the year to come. Thank you, Executive Director Yant. And again, I want to uh, commend you and the executive and administrative uh, staff and management on all that you've done in a very, very challenging uh, year of transition and executive leadership and changes in operation. Uh, it's been outstanding. So I call on the board for any questions. I'll echo uh, President Scott's remarks, if I may, of, of commendation and compliments to you and the team. It's a tremendous amount of work uh, synthesized in an easily digestible fashion, and it demonstrates uh, leadership of, of both you and your team and uh, the, uh, the amount of effort that they've put into improving uh, our, our department and service to our members. So thank you. Thank you. Um, sure, ditto. 
Commissioner Hall? Ditto plus. But um, no, I also, um, I think what was remarkable about this report, Abby, is that it is clear that your whole department was involved. It wasn't just a leadership-led effort, but it the fingerprints of everybody who touch um, the members in some way um, are they're totally reflected in this report. And I wanna thank you for putting the members first and to think about the voice of our customers and their needs in, um, in how you serve them. So thank you. Commissioner Zivansky. Yes, um, ditto. And I just wanna add that I think it's <coughs> remarkable um, with our staff shortages. Uh, it speaks to the commitment of our staff and the quality of our staff that um, this kind of um, uh, significant work can go forward and reflect everyone and we should thank everyone on the staff this is just this is a great report and um, your leadership is is well noted here um, and our I just think we have exceptional employees in the office and they need to know we support them okay any other comments from the board hearing none we'll have public comment at this time uh, thank you president Scott We'll be displaying instructions for those joining us on WebEx, and I'll be reading instructions aloud. I'm sorry, uh, we need a motion. Mm. Excuse uh, me, mm -hmm. thank you. Uh, I've got a number of uh, close colleagues here that keeps me straight on this stuff. Oh, uh, Mr. President, uh, it would be my honor uh, and privilege thank to you. Uh, make a motion to approve uh, the annual report. All right, it's, it's been properly moved and seconded. Uh, that we approve the annual report as printed and presented. Uh, is there any further comment from the board? Hearing none, we now will have public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Those instructions are being broadcast on WebEx. So we'll know that public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed for those watching us on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with our in-person public comment and no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our virtual public comment and our moderator will let us know of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have three callers on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers, you must dial star three now if you wish to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We are now entering uh, with the next agenda item, the rates and benefits portion. Take a vote. Excuse me, after, the sand, after we take our vote, <laughs> we'll be going into the rates and benefits portion of our meeting. So uh, Madam Secretary, would you please call the roll for this vote? Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Canning? Aye. And Commissioner Zavansky? Aye. It passes unanimously. We're now moving into rates and benefits as a committee of the whole. I, I guess I've said this several times. At one time, there was a standing committee of this board that did rates and benefits, and then the board would review the same material again. 
and we found that that was wholly inefficient. So we have uh, we eliminated that standing committee. And any time that we're dealing with rates and benefits, we do it as a, uh, a board, uh, as a matter of the committee of the whole. So we'll now move to item number nine. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number nine is presentation of the 2023 rates and benefits calendar for the plan year 2024. This is the discussion item and will be presented by Executive Director Abby Ant. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Again, Abby Yant, uh, Executive Director of Health Service System. The um, rates and benefits calendar presented before you, I believe, has no changes since the last meeting, um, and I would call to your attention the whole date on May 25th, should um, we not get through this agenda for some reason, which I don't anticipate. No, no, no. It's April 27th. I'm a month ahead of myself, aren't I? Oh. Ah! Sorry. Yeah. So uh, there is a hold on your calendars for April 27th should we need that meeting. And um, if we get through everything today, we will not. Um, so that would be the only thing I'd call out today. Thank you very much, Director. Uh, we will now have public comment. Are there any comments or questions from the board regarding the rates and benefits calendar? If not, we'll now have public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching SFGov TV and on WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star 3 to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with our any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our remote public comment. And our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are three callers on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers on the line, you must dial star three now if you wish to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We'll wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now move to item 10. Agenda item number 10, <coughs> SFHSS Health Plan Risk Scores. This is a discussion item and will be presented by uh, Rin Coleridge, Director of Enterprise, Enterprise Systems and Analytics with SFHSS. Thank you. Afternoon. Good afternoon, Commissioner. How are you? Good. Thank you very much. Rin Coleridge, Director of Enterprise Systems and Analytics. And we do have a presentation to display. Uh, bringing to you, great, uh, today, the uh, 2022 Health Plan Risk Scores. This is a summary of uh, the key findings in your board packet as well as online. You'll find the full report. Uh, I would like to certainly acknowledge the very hard work of Sharmini Bhatnagar on my team and Ryan Klaus on Jessica's team to get all the data and then package it into a format that we can actually present here to you today. So thanks to them for their very hard work on this report. I think uh, you know, but risk scores are based on claims and utilization experience and are indicators of resource consumption and cost. Uh, foundationally, we use diagnostic cost groups, which is a patient classification system that helps forecast that utilization. The models predict 12-month current, which is the concurrent risk score. And then they also look at future, which we call the prospective risk score. Um, and um, just so you know, 
The model we use is based on the commercial population, and so when you're looking at the Medicare population in the report, um, they'll um, appear high. Uh, the report itself, you'll see four uh, time periods included in that. Certainly one aim is to give you a trend, but we also wanted to get that fourth time period in there to give you some context of what our risk scores looked like pre-COVID. And in the report, um, uh, the current time period is actually from October 2021 through September 2022. And the reason we roll that with that 12 months is so that we have the report in time to bring to you for rates and benefits. Next slide, please. So here's a look at our total population, all of our lives, Medicare and non-Medicare. And what we've done here is we've um, broken these out by age and gender into their risk band profiles. And not surprising, as, as we age, you'll see more of those um, older populations in the struggling and in crisis. And so good news is 58% of our population is uh, categorized as healthy or stable, and the 42% are in those other three categories. So here looking at our next slide, what we've done here is we're breaking it out by our various segments, so our actives, early retirees, and Medicare retirees, and this is that concurrent risk score. So it's looking at um, indicators of health spend in the current period. So it measures your current illness burden. It's looking at both your acute and your chronic conditions. And what we observe notably is decreases in the risk score for the early retiree and the Medicare retiree populations, um, less, to a lesser degree on the Medicare populations, but still in both. And as we um, did some investigation, it really looks like even though we have more claims and more patients in these populations, we also had um, a higher number of non-utilizers or low-utilizers. So that's in a sense, artificially suppressing that risk score because um, those are individuals that haven't had any utilization or therefore claims data, and so um, it's really just based on age and gender. In the next slide, what we're looking at here is the prospective risk score. So again, that's um, our uh, predictors of future cost. And so here, um, chronic conditions are... Um, you know, they're indicators of cost not only in the current period, but there's uh, future um, costs likely from those chronic conditions. Um, compare that if you had a broken arm or leg from an accident, um, you'd have some prediction for costs in the current period, but that wouldn't necessarily translate to ongoing costs in the future period. And when when prospective risk scores are developed, uh, they tend to also take into account more the age and gender of the population, because as you're trying to predict future state, you don't know what conditions those people have. So that's why those come, come into play more. Um, in our active population, the prospective risk score unchanged over previous period. And, and same even on the concurrent, very slight change, um, um, but it was almost the same as previous period. And same thing that non-utilizers impacting the risk score in the Medicare and non-Medicare retirees so that we're seeing lower numbers there. In this next slide, what you're looking at is the breakdown of just the non-Medicare population, so no Medicare uh, folks in this slide, but here's those um, health risk bands that we looked at a few slides ago, and now we're looking at, well, what are the conditions impacting the groups in these various risk bands? Across our total population, musculoskeletal disorders 
um, are the condition that is the largest driver of that um, health risk, uh, which is at 14%, followed by neoplasms at 9%, and then you've got diabetes and cardiovascular disorder and psychiatric divorce disorder, um, contributing 7% towards the makeup of those risk scores. And our next slide here on the left, this is sort of that same breakdown about the population banded into those risk profiles. And now we're looking at um, the how that translates into the cost. And so the 2% of our population that's in crisis is contributing to 79% of our costs. So in our next slide here, what this slide is doing, um, and this one is actually our only slide in the summary report that does any breakout by plan. If you look at the full report online, you'll see um, additional slides that do some per plan comparisons. Um, so a couple things to note when we're looking at it by plan this year. First off is that we changed the administrator of our PPO from United Healthcare to Blue Shield. Um, of course, that was the beginning of the plan year for 2022, but as I said, we're sort of at a rolling. We've got one quarter from the previous period and then three quarters from 2022. So you've got only three quarters where you're looking at this being under Blue Shield. And so, um, you know, also calling out the, the lower risk score in the non-Medicare and Medicare retiree population, but here on the PPO, it's mostly the non-Medicare. Um, and, and that's um, sort of... As we adjust for risk and look at your actual costs on a per member per year basis to expected, uh, that risk score being lower than expected, I think, is on the PPO creating a, a value that I think will level out and make more sense here in another year. Uh, and then as we look at um, Kaiser, their uh, expected to um, actual is lower. Um, when adjusting for risk, um, but uh, our actual PMPOI was greater uh, when adjusting for risk for the Blue Shield plans, Access Plus, Trio, and, and the PPOs. Uh, lastly, I just want to call out that there is no health net canopy care claims data here, and you won't find uh, in the larger report anything that breaks out as yet by health net canopy care. We've been working um, with health net to get the claims data, and uh, hopefully we will see that coming through in another month, but did not have that in time for this report. Next slide, please. So here's where we've taken our population um, and we're looking at their risk score by their race ethnicity. Um, and as you, what we're, we're definitely seeing here, first of all, is you, you, don't, you won't have every single um, race ethnicity represented. We do have to have a certain number of N and so some of our populations tend to be very small. But also if you're just looking at the, the the risk score and that trend line, we can very clearly see that there are variabilities in those risk score by the race groups. Next slide, please, Jessica, thank you. So let me tell you a little bit about this slide because I certainly um, appreciate Sharmini's work on this one. What we did is the CDC puts out a social vulnerability index. They um, rate from low to high uh, and they're doing it based on census tract, and they're looking at uh, various indicators, which are listed in the bigger report. Um, and so what we wanted to do is uh, crosswalk that to our population. So using CDC recommendations, we got um, zip code data from the Housing and Urban Development da uh, Department, and we crosswalked it. And we said, well, where are these high vulnerability 
areas, and we took those, and then we did a little deep dive and said, okay, for those zip codes, what's our population look like there? What's going on for them? And so that's what you see here. So here we've got six zip codes within San Francisco that are high on that vulnerability index, and we're taking a look at our populations. We're looking at the um, primary risk contributor, the primary race, ethnicity, and age, and other demographic information in this area. Uh, in the larger report, you will find this data for both um, our non-Medicare and our Medicare populations, and you'll also see it for zip codes that are either in San Francisco and also outside of San Francisco. And if you look in the appendix of the report, you'll also see not only the primary contributor to the risk, but like the top five of those conditions for people that are in our um, socially vulnerable areas. So. Moving to the next slide and closing out this presentation, just bringing back to the elements uh, of the uh, key findings. So again, lower risk scores in our non-Medicare population, likely driven by that low and non-utilizing group. So working with our carriers around their um, PGs on HEDIS and preventive care and getting people um, into their um, doctor's offices, uh, and also our, just our well-being and our communications at large. Uh, we see those disparities in health within the populations, and Director Yant already mentioned, you know, working to get race data over to our carriers to continue to help improve the quality of this information so that we can be data-driven in our approaches. Um, and we do have work in flight for that, I'm pleased to report. Um, so obviously we'll be looking at this in our racial equity action plan. We'll look at it in our population and social health strategies, our communications, and again, the transmission of the race carriers, which is work currently in flight. Um, musculoskeletal disorders, it's not the first year that we've talked about it being our primary cost driver, so we'll continue to evaluate cost-effective methods for treating MSK conditions. And, and finally, you know, in our earlier slides, um, when we were looking at um, those in crisis contributing most, most to our cost, that 2% to the 79%, um, you know, a, a portion of that are individuals with end-state range, end-stage renal disease. And we were looking and seeing in the non-Medicare population um, that this was accounting for 4% of costs. And so we'll want to work uh, with our plans to ensure they're proactive in seeking uh, Medicare eligibility for this population. And so at that point, uh, this completes the summary of the risk score report. And I will take any of your questions. Thank you. Ren, I have the same question that I've raised uh, year after year. Why do we do all of this? What is this data, uh, and how is it linked to uh, premium increases and that sort of stuff? Yeah, you know, our, our plans when they meet us and, and their rating, uh, and I'm, I know our actuary can definitely give you the better insight on that, but they're, they're looking at that previous cost and utilization and what's the risk, and so predicting out... Um, the future costs and the premiums supposed to account for those costs. And so here's a little sanity check on what is our data looking like and where do we see the, the risks and the opportunities in our population. Well, don't our carriers do that, do the same type of analysis? Why don't we rely on their information? Well, you know, I, I will say that in a way we are relying on their information because it's their claims data. 
Yes. Um, and uh, some information they may be able to pull out of a clinical system, and we're a little hampered because we're looking at claims only. However, uh, we think it's part of our due diligence to double check and see if we're in alignment and we're seeing the same things. Thank you. It is a fiduciary responsibility of this board to try to gather all of the information it can as it's making financially impacting decisions on the trust and its funds, and also to try to understand the issues of the members. And so that's why this report, while it looks rather bizarre in its mass and detail, is critical to our work. So thank you and your team for, again, presenting this information in a very clear way. Thank you very much, President Scott. Okay. Are there other questions from the board? Yes, I have some questions. Um, this is a rather awesome report um, and very welcome. But my concern is that when I look at the demographics in the high vulnerability zip codes and then I look at page 16 social vulnerability index um, that allegedly um, tracks the percentage of our members' lives. What I'm not seeing is the information that I expect and that I've, I've tracked over the years I've been working for the city and retired, that Sunset and Richmond, um, we don't have the information for those districts, um, as well as the Mission District where we know significant numbers of our actives and retirees live, um, and I'm wondering why those were not. I realize it would add to um, to the extent of to the work on this report, but why um, those districts weren't considered um, important enough to be included with greater detail, because I think there's issues with regard to um, both racial issues, but especially um, the high-risk contributors and the ages. Yeah, so thank you very much for that uh, question, Commissioner Zvansky. Uh, so uh, in the appendix, there was some additional zip codes that were listed. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we did for the purpose of this report, internally we do a lot more data to help uh, drive our strategies. Um, we first focused going by the First, the risk of the population in that area, so the ones that had the higher risk score are where we did the deep dive in this presentation, not to mean that there aren't high risk scores there, but these were higher, so we selected them for presentation. The other thing is that social vulnerability index is based on tracts, and so you end up with this many tracts to one zip code. And so what you find happening in some of those areas is some parts of those zip codes in the Sunset and the Richmond are actually very low on the vulnerability index and some are high because a zip code is so much larger. So also in choosing what to put in the report today, we were looking at zip codes where predominantly all of the census tracts in there were high on that vulnerability index. But that certainly doesn't preclude us from looking at those, and we do. Yeah, it's not that they're excluded. It's this, these are the ones, the, the ones that are highlighted are the ones that rise to the top. All the data is included, correct? That's yeah. correct. Yeah, it's not like we're leaving out any of the population. Okay, so we're, we're tracking, we're looking at what the 
what the claims would be in those areas and those populations and how it impacts our overall system as well. Okay, because I, that's what's bothering me based on what I know and what I experience day by day and, and um, what this seems to section out. But thank you, appreciate it. All right. the Are there any other clarifying comments or questions from board members regarding this work? And again, Ren, I want to uh, personally thank you and your team for the uh, great deal of thoroughness uh, that you bring to not only this, but the 10 factor and all the other stuff that contributes to the mechanics of getting our side of our uh, story clear so that Mike and his team can go do battle or negotiate, I guess would be a better <laughs> word, with our health plan partners uh, during the course of the year. So thank you again for your hard work and diligence uh, on this effort. Are there any other questions? If not, we'll have public uh, comment on this item. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, and then virtual public comment. For those callers on the line, remote, uh, please press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching on meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our remote public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have three callers on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers in the line, you must dial star three now if you wish to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. And uh, I am going to claim the privilege of the chair and suggest that the mind can only comprehend what the end can endure. And I'm going to call for a recess of 10 minutes. Uh, so I'm expecting it will reconvene at 2.20. Thank you. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
is your moderator. I can hear you loud and clear. Thank you, moderator. All right. Good. We've now reconvened from our 10-minute recess. Thank you for your cooperation. We'll have a roll call. Thank you, President Scott. Roll call starting with President Scott. Present. Vice President Howe. Present. Commissioner Canning. Present. And Commissioner Zvansky. Present. We have a quorum. So we'll begin with uh, item 11. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number 11, review Kaiser Permanente active employee and early retiree HMO plan 2022 claims and utilization experience. This is a discussion item and will be presented by Mike Clark with AM. Hello, Good afternoon, how are you? Mr. Clark, you're doing well? Doing well. Good. Excited to be here to, uh, you'll hear a lot of my voice for the rest of the meeting here. Yes. <laughs> starting with, so Mike Clark and starting with our review of Kaiser Permanente Active Employee and Early Retiree uh, HMO Plan 2022 Claim and Utilization Experience. So we'll go through that experience. I'll provide some insights uh, on the data that uh, Kaiser Permanente provided to us around 2022 experience and then in the appendix i won't go through it but there's detailed uh, monthly claim and member count information in there for reference so this captures uh, 2022 plan year experience on medical and prescription drug claims including plan utilization and also quality indicators uh, for the non-medicare fully insured hmo plans uh, that are offered uh, by sfhss to members most of what you're gonna see in here is for the active employee and early retiree population, but there are uh, prevalent statistics included uh, towards the back for the Medicare population as well. Uh, this will be the basis of the plan experience that Kaiser will use to develop fully insured premium rates for the 2024 plan year, uh, which I'll be presenting to you at the next uh, HSB meeting, uh, May 11th. And again, all the information that you see in here was provided to us uh, by Kaiser, just to give a frame of reference to the total spend uh, within SFHSS that is specific to Kaiser. Uh, total 2022 premiums for non-Medicare members, active employees and early retirees were $427 million, uh, $52 million for Medicare members. And overall combined, that represents 48% uh, of total SFHSS plan spend in 2022. Uh, COVID-19, you know, certainly hit the plan, uh, especially during the height of the pandemic in 2020. Uh, so last year we did actually show three years of uh, plan experience. Uh, you know, 2021 pretty well returned uh, to, to typical levels of care and, and utilization. Um, just one note here, there's certainly been a reduction in direct costs for COVID-19 care uh, from 2021 to 2022. Uh, 2021, it was just a bit over 10 million, 2022 about six and a half million, but it is still an influencer on you know overall cost of care delivered by Kaiser to members. And there is some detailed information on recent COVID-19 care spend in this material. So overall insights on page eight, uh, you can see for 2021 and 2022, you know, the overall membership in the plan, the covered lives, and then the per member per month or PMPM PM claims uh, that occurred in the plan. So for the active employees, uh, average to a change of 4.3% increase, uh, most notably on the medical side, 
uh, some only a marginal increase on the prescription drug side. Uh, there was a reduction by about almost 1,300 covered lives, um, and the total average covered um, uh, you know count in the Kaiser plan between uh, 2021 and 2022 for the active employee population. Early retiree population stayed almost steady. Uh, you can see only a change of ton in the average and an actual reduction in plan spend uh, overall on a per member per month basis, although a little bit higher of an increase in prescription drug uh, when you look at this data. Can I ask a question about this uh, sure. number, this 1276? Would you attribute that to people enrolling in other plans or terminating their employment with the city as being the larger driver? Yeah, my view, it's I think every plan had less average enrollment in 2022 versus 2021 just as a function of the total number of uh, active employees and dependents, you know, eligible to elect coverage. All right, thank you. Hmm. Uh, the next couple slides are very interesting, a way to look at what top diagnostic categories drove spend. Uh, first, for the active employee population, uh, the factors influencing health status includes um, some things like COVID care and other things like that, but it also includes preventive care, and we definitely saw you know, return to preventive care uh, happening over the course of the last couple of years. And you can see as you orient to these bars, basically left to right, um, it's the comparison of four years of data, uh, 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022. So it's good to see longitudinally um, how spend compares across um, you know, each of these four years. Uh, neoplasms or cancer were the uh, second highest uh, source of spend. You can see a little bit lower in 2022 versus 2021. Um, you know, the third circulatory system uh, after some suppression in 2020, uh, some increasing level of cost there. Uh, musculoskeletal, Rin pointed that out, you know, overall as a, as a key driver uh, within San Francisco. Uh, in the risk score data, and we're seeing it here uh, in the Kaiser data, and then to round out in, injury poisoning and, and uh, you know, other things which uh, were the kind of rounding out the top five. Pharmacy side on page 10, uh, you can see anti-infective agents, although a little bit lower spend overall in the last couple of years versus previously. Uh, Anti-inflammatory, uh, dermatological, starting to see an increase there, um, as well as endocrine and uh, the anti-neoplastics, or again, cancer medications, uh, rounding out the top five. For the early retiree population, page 11, uh, you could see circulatory actually um, a fairly significant increase in the overall uh, spend uh, attributable to circulatory system uh, conditions. A uh, little bit of uh, backing away for the factors influencing health status uh, and the infection and parasitic diseases. So you would attribute that to less COVID spend uh, in 2022 versus 2021, uh, cancer spend and neoplasm stabilizing a bit, as well as the musculoskeletal. And then from a pharmacy perspective, on the early retiree population, um, a little bit higher spend on the anti-infective agents, um, higher spend on endocrine, um, the anti-inflammatory uh, class. So again, keep in mind the one area that we did see increased spend, you know, from that very initial page was early retiree pharmacy, and you see it with these three categories uh, here on the left side of this page. 
I mentioned earlier uh, some COVID-19 direct expense uh, that we have the information for active employees where there was 4.6 million of spend in 2022, early retirees just shy of 2 million. Um, and you can see uh, a few areas where the data is high in a given month. So this is a uh, graph that goes across all the months of 2022. Uh, some higher spend for the active employee population in January, February, and July. And if you can remember, there was a bit of a COVID cost blip right at the start um, of 2022. And then for the early retiree population, you know, generally moderate spend uh, with some high cost spend that occurred in April. Uh, the next couple slides I like to look at because it's a function of how the plan is being utilized uh, comparing 2021 to 2022. Uh, so to orient, you can see the uh, statistic kind of in the top, that little uh, rectangle at the top of each chart. And then you're comparing 2021 on the left side to 2022 on the right side uh, with the change percentage in between. Active population on the top, early retiree uh, population on the bottom. You know, generally for the active uh, population from an inpatient admission standpoint, a uh, little bit lower uh, rate of admission. So these are figures per thousand covered lives. So you know, another way to look at this is about three and a half percent of the population, uh, you know, incurring an inpatient admission. On the active population side, uh, about five and a half percent of the population on the early retiree side. But both had lower rates of inpatient admission in 2022 versus 2021. Um, where the care increased some was on the outpatient side. So outpatient visits per thousand uh, generally increased, especially in the mental health area. So you can see, you know, more members getting care, uh, which is a good thing uh, that you know, that access is um, increasing so that uh, there was an increase in the outpatient mental health uh, visit rate. And you're also seeing some increase in emergency room care, although most of the emergency room care is being delivered uh, within Kaiser Permanente physician, uh, uh, facilities. So active employees on page 15, early retirees on page 16, where again, not quite the rate of the increase on the outpatient mental health, but you do see a double-digit rate increase um, in the utilization of outpatient mental health and higher utilization in the emergency room again. Uh, page 17 just exhibits that telehealth uh, still continues to be a key and viable um, access strategy for members with uh, KP physicians. You know, more on the uh, video visit side uh, than the telephone side, so the video visit is kind of the right of the two bars for each of the uh, months uh, versus phone visits on the left. You know, for the active employee population, uh, more of the visits being delivered through video, early retiree population, you know, about half and half. And then the last couple slides we'll look at uh, just have to do what's happening with health risk indicators uh, as measured by Kaiser, as well as preventive screening and immunization rates. Uh, looking at uh, first on page 18, active employee population and early retiree population, how that compares uh, to the KP regional averages. You know, generally speaking, uh, these health risks are in line, perhaps a little bit lower than uh, what's observed by KP in their regional average. Uh, but again, it still kind of points out 
what are some of the key health risks to focus on for the SFHSS uh, Kaiser population. Um, also starting to see some uh, increases in many of the preventive screening rates uh, relative to uh, the KP regional average. So good to see it's higher than these averages for the most part, but still, you know, you'd like to see higher rates uh, for screening. And then I mentioned the one slide in here for the Medicare retirees, uh, same type of data on page 19, uh, but focused on the Medicare retirees. And so that concludes uh, main part of my presentation. Again, uh, detail in the appendix, but uh, President Scott. Are there questions by board members on any of this information? Yes, Commissioner Zavansky. Thank you. Um, with regard to uh, pharmacy medication use, um, the Kaiser's policies um, have any impact on whether or not they're their patients are demanding or requiring more of the medications that we see advertised on television continuously in the media. Um, do they have something built in that controls some of that, um, or do they participate in whatever the patients want? Um, yeah, what I can speak to is just kind of, um, you know, I think perhaps a general observation, I mean, certainly um, Kaiser Permanente has, you know, policies, strategies within the organization um, with regard to, you know, kind of what medications get dispensed, um, you know, close coordination with physicians. Certainly, okay. you know, plan management strategies would dictate um, trying to achieve appropriate dispensing of medications, um, you know, to members and, um, you know, if, if, if I would imagine that's in place, I can ask a Kaiser representative to speak. If you if would, like I think to. that they're anxious to come and speak for themselves, but thank you, Mike, for your initial representations. Um, hi, Denise Rodriguez, representing Kaiser Permanente. Good afternoon. So one of the strengths of our program, actually, is that we have a, a group of pharmacists and physicians that work together to identify the most effective um, pharmaceuticals available, and they look at a combination of generics primarily because they're more cost-effective, but they also look at brand drugs where maybe there isn't a generic equivalent. And so when our physicians prescribe medications, just like any other physician, they're going to hear, I saw this ad on the, in the, you know, the TV or whatever, and they'll have a conversation about why that may or may not work. Now, in collaboration with their physician, if they feel that that medication might be a better solution for treating their condition, then they have the ability, our physicians have the ability without prior approval to have it written as, as they request. So um, our generic compliance rate is very high with our physicians. I want to say it's over 90%. Um, and uh, we're very successful. Actually, I think one of that's really a huge strength of our program. And I think in a lot of ways, because we don't um, spend a lot of time with pharmaceutical reps. We do it all through collaborations with our physicians and our pharmacy, uh, pharmacists. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. While you're there, mm -hmm. um, I noticed that um, for both Medicare retirees and um, the actives and earlies, adult sedentary seem to have um, higher percentages. Is there anything that Kaiser um, is doing with regard to uh, those populations, and um, I know there are various programs, but I'm wondering if there's any uh, specific outreach um, that's going on with regard to that. 
So one of the first steps that we took a couple of years ago was measuring um, activities as a vital sign, right? So now physicians can say, hey, I notice you're not moving. Let's talk about why that's important, particularly with certain chronic conditions, right? Like diabetes can lower your blood sugar, et cetera. Um, if the physician, if it's a chronic condition and, the, and there's some real concern around that, they can always refer them to our... Um, uh, oh my gosh, I almost forgot the word, um, our well-being department. So they can go there. There's classes, there's resources. Kaiser does a lot of promotion to our members directly through email. Um, certainly at the medical center, there's a lot of information available for our members. Um, and if you're in a chronic condition program, there's a lot of um, in, um, commitment with the people that are running those programs to try to engage with you to get you moving. Um, it is a huge issue. I think one of the things we say is... Um, you know, not moving or sitting is the new smoking, and that's how important it is. I think um, mm. San Francisco Health Services System does a great job with their well-being program, trying to promote and advocate for, you know, good health, which includes getting, you know, moving. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Are there any other questions on this presentation from the board? If not, we'll have public comment at this time. Thank you, President Scott. And for those joining us online after the break, I would like to read the longer instructions so they yes, people know please. how to participate. So um, public comment is now open. In-person public comment will be first, then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length, unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments that should be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. The Health Service Board will hear up to 30 minutes of remote public comment total for each agenda item. Remote public comment from people who have received an accommodation due to a disability will not count towards the 30-minute limit. Members of the public attending the meeting via phone call in by dialing 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter access code 2592-183-9383, then press pound. You'll be prompted to enter the webinar password 1145, then press pound. Press star 3 to be added to the public comment queue, and you'll hear the prompt. You have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. You'll be muted when your time has expired. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the queue to speak. A raise hand icon will appear next to your name. When you're unmuted in the system, a request to unmute will appear on your screen. Please select unmute to speak. Once you hear myself say, welcome caller, you can begin speaking. When your time has expired, you will be muted. Please click on the raise hand icon to lower your hand. Members of the public are encouraged to state their name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I'll give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining, and when your three minutes have ended, I'll say thank you, and you'll be placed back on mute, and I'll unmute the next caller. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our virtual public comment, and our moderator will no notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are two callers on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers on the line, you must dial star three now if you wish to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We'll wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. 
Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now move to item 12. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number 12, review self-funded non-Medicare PPO plan 2022 claims and utilization experience and approve the use of one-third of the stabilization reserve deficit as of December 31st, 2022, action for 2024. This is an action item and will be presented by Mike Clark with AON. Mike Clark, and uh, so we will review the non-Medicare PBO plan experience for 2022, uh, followed by the rate stabilization fund use recommendation uh, to apply in 2024 rating for this plan. Uh, to summarize today's recommendation on page three, uh, congruence with the stabilization fund policy uh, request approval of the use of one third of the December 31st, 2022 stabilization reserve deficit amount of 746,000 uh, which is one-third of 2238000 be applied towards the buy-up of rates across all rating tiers for the non-Medicare PPO plan, including choice not available, uh, for plan year 2024, and apply proportionally between active employees and early retirees, uh, leaving a remaining deficit carry-forward uh, for plan year 2025 of $1,492,000. So first, just uh, to capture some information on the non-Medicare PPO plan uh, with the administrator for most of the covered lives in this plan uh, changing in 2022 from United Healthcare to Blue Shield. Uh, you can see the distribution of the members, in other words, the employees and retirees, as well as the covered lives, uh, which are the members and dependents in each of the two uh, plan administrators. So certainly Blue Shield has the majority of the covered lives in 2022, but for those uh, non-Medicare split family covered lives where one or more uh, family members is covered by the United Healthcare Man Medicare Advantage PPO plan, you can see there's 41 uh, total uh, employees and retirees uh, representing 336 total uh, covered lives. So most of those retiree split family lives would be dependents. And so the observations you see in here uh, include uh, for 2022, both the Blue Shield and United Healthcare experience data where we had it to compare to the experience data we had at this time last year for 2021 uh, from United Healthcare. And so you can see uh, as we go through this, uh, we'll have comparative data in section two. Uh, one uh, important note, we'll uh, reference to high cost claims in this particular presentation. They're defined as individuals who exceeded 50,000 in medical and pharmacy claims in a calendar year. Uh, this is a pure self-funded plan. So the claims generated by the member use of the plan flow through the trust uh, for medical and prescription drug expenses uh, with associated administrative fees uh, applying as well. So the total cost rates for this plan represent the best future estimate uh, for the plan year of claim and administrative expenses. And uh, we will uh, have this information serve as a basis uh, for the underwriting and rate development for 2024 uh, that we'll present uh, next month at the Health Service Board meeting. So with that background, uh, plan experience observations Overall, uh, from a medical uh, claim standpoint, we observed an 8% increase in per covered life uh, claims between 2021, you know, all under United Healthcare, and 2022, the combination of Blue Shield and United Healthcare for this plan 
Uh, we did see some moderation in prescription drug expense attributable, as we'll look in a couple pages, to a cost per script favorability uh, that we observed in Blue Shield. So overall, from a total plan claim uh, experience, observed a 7% increase in medical prescription drug uh, claim experience, which you know candidly is right in line with our expected uh, uh, trend from 2021 to 2022. Uh, on page 10, uh, observing high cost claimants, again, individuals 50,000 or more in a year, they do have a magnifying influence on the overall spend. Uh, you'll see that there was an increase from 116 uh, such individuals in 2021 to 176 when you combine uh, what was observed in the Blue Shield administration of this plan and the United Healthcare administration of this plan. Um, now, you would expect a higher percentage of covered lives under United Healthcare because you have an older population. You know, reference what Rin presented earlier uh, that the United Healthcare. Uh, PPO has the highest expected per person cost simply because uh, it is an older population. And key diagnostic categories for these high cost claimants, as we observed last year, uh, continue to be cancer and musculoskeletal. Uh, what's interesting now with Blue Shield is the plan administrators were able to compare data that Blue Shield provides us uh, between the PPO plan and the HMO populations, you know, who they cover for Access Plus and TRIO. Uh, this is a very interesting chart to show the percentage of the population covered in this plan, um, you know, relative to the percentage of the combined population in Access Plus and TRIO uh, that observe a particular chronic condition. And I think highlights and backs up a lot of what Ren presented about this PPO plan, you know, higher risk population. And it plays out here when you look at the uh, the prevalence of particular chronic conditions, you know, in all cases, higher on the PPO side uh, relative to the Blue Shield HMOs, with musculoskeletal leading the way, again, as Ren pointed out in Ren's presentation. I referenced earlier prescription drug cost observed on a per script basis lower um, in 2022 under Blue Shield relative to. Uh, United Healthcare in 2021, and you'll see in the chart below, again, it's not a perfect comparison. The 2021 data is a full year under United Healthcare. Uh, Blue Shield was able to provide us data for the January through September 2022 period. So the first nine months of this plan under Blue Shield, but you can see most notably uh, the cost per script is lower, and that also translates into the paid claims per member per month. Utilization was about the same uh, year to year. So, you know, looking ahead, this is the highest uh, average cost population, and uh, we will talk in the next section about the rate stabilization uh, recommendation uh, on the way to presenting the rate uh, recommendations for 2024 to you next month. So as we transition ahead to page 15, uh, just a reminder that uh, stabilization uh, reserve is one of three reserve policies for SFHSS. Uh, we focused on the incurred but not reported and contingency reserves uh, in the January meeting. Uh, and today for the PPO, focus on the stabilization, which is calculated as of the last day of the plan year, so December 31st, 2022. Um, so let's move ahead to page 17. 
the stabilization policy, just reminder, term, uh, requires this annual determination of financial gain or loss and the amortization per policy over a three-year rating period. Uh, we did see for several years through 2019 in an effort to promote long-term uh, sustainability of this plan, uh, the Health Service Board did choose to apply the rate stabilization funds in full uh, towards the active employees and early retiree rates. Uh, and then, you know, the pandemic happened. We saw a favorability of experience in the plan, especially in 2020. And so, um, you know, the deficit uh, did exist for 2020 and 2021, but then when on page 18, the claim experience turned favorable in 2020, that affected the stabilization action applied in 2022 rating, and it actually generated a surplus. Um, and so that flipped uh, back to deficit for 2023 rating. Uh, based on the 2021 results, uh, we continue to be in deficit um, going into this cycle. And so on page 19, uh, the calculation that we've exhibited in following pages uh, results in a balance of 2238000 to carry forward into 2024, uh, of which one-third or 746000 is the recommended buy-up figure in 2024 rating. Uh, the mathematics of that are shown on page 20. Uh, comparing the expected uh, experience that was built into 2022 rating originally versus what actually transpired now that 2022 is finished. And so with that, uh, I'll close on page 21 uh, by uh, stating today's recommendation in congruence with the Stabilization Fund policy, approve the use of one-third of the December 31st, 2022 Stabilization Reserve Deficit Amount of 746000 which is one-third of 2238000 be applied towards buy-up of rates across all rating tiers for the non-Medicare PPO plan, including choice not available for plan near 2024, and apply proportionately between active employees and early retirees. President Scott. You've heard the recommendation of the actuary on this item. Are there any questions from the board? Hearing none, I'm ready to entertain a motion. Uh, Mr. President, uh, I move that we approve the use of uh, one-third of the December 31, 2022 stable, uh, stabilization reserve deficit amount uh, to be applied towards the buy-up rates as presented. Right. Is there second. a second? It's been properly moved and seconded that we accept the recommendation of the actuary as stated in the motion. Are there any questions by members of this board? Comments? Hearing none, we'll take public comment at this time. Thank you, President Scott. Our instructions, uh, public comment is now open, and our instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our remote public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Secretary, there are two callers on the phone line. Zero callers have entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers on the line. You must dial star three now if you wish to join public comment for the specific agenda item. We'll wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. 
Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now have a roll call vote on this item. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Helm. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. And Commissioner Zvansky. Aye. It passes unanimously. And with that, we'll move to item 13. Agenda item number 13, review and approve VSP Vision Fully Insured 2024 rates and contributions. This is an action item and will be presented by Mike Clark with AM. Now, just to give a context, this is the first step of rate approval that we've had for the next plan year. And it's sort of like we've gone through all of the background. Uh, we've looked at the claims experience. We've uh, looked at how we might fund uh, these rates through buy-downs, et cetera, et cetera. We're now going to talk about actual plan rates. And that's will be happening for the next uh, two meetings. So we start today. Uh, Actuary Clark. Oh, thank you, President Scott. Mike Clark and uh, presenting uh, is... President Scott stated the VSP vision fully insured 2024 rates and contributions. I'll just provide a quick preface uh, from a rate setting standpoint uh, to set the guide for healthcare uh, rate setting and then get into the experience and ultimately the renewal provisions uh, for 2024 for the various VSP plans. Uh, so just to uh, remind everybody, there are really three different types of funding methods uh, across plans offered through SFHSS. Uh, Self-funding, so a good example of that is the plan we just discussed, uh, the Blue Shield uh, PPO plan and United Healthcare Split Family PPO plan. Uh, Flex-funded, uh, good examples of that are the uh, Blue Shield and Health Net Canopy HMOs. Uh, and then the VSP plan is an example of fully insured. And you can see the descriptions here on the page. Uh, of the funding methods, you know, who sets the recommended rates uh, and the role of uh, myself as the actuary uh, in each of those uh, funding methods, uh, specific plans, as well as the application of rate stabilization. You'll see for VSP, there is no rate stabilization application because it's a fully insured plan. And so the uh, data we'll look at today ultimately leads to rates and in general, the process uh, starts with prior period claims, uh, applies healthcare trend factor, counts for any designer headcount changes, administrative and other fees, uh, as well as any SFHSS specific cost elements that are built into the, uh, the rate planning process, uh, leading to the calculation of any needed rate changes uh, for the next year. So with that, uh, just focusing on this renewal, uh, there are a couple different plans offered. The basic plan has been offered for many years. It's part of the enrollment uh, by members in any SFHSS medical plan. And Premier, uh, which was originally offered in 2018, is the second plan that provides a higher level of benefits uh, than the basic plan. So in other words, lower member co-pays and higher uh, allowances for things like frames and lenses. Uh, that is entirely member paid increment uh, difference between the basic plan rates and the premier plan rates. And then additionally, about 19,000 employees uh, also have access to a computer vision care uh, benefit through VSP. So today's recommendation uh, is to approve the rates presented, which in the end are no change from 2023 uh, into 2024 for each of these plans. 
Uh, just some background on the renewal. We're actually in the uh, right in the middle of a current five-year uh, rate agreement. Uh, so, you know, just to make it clear, uh, I asked the board to uh, take action and approve 2024 specifically, but we do speak to the plans about putting uh, in place where possible uh, multi-year direction for uh, expectations for rate renewals. And it just so happens 2024 is in year three of a five-year rate agreement that started uh, January 1, 2022, where uh, 2024 rates are to be set at the same as 2023 rates. And then uh, computer vision care, actually, those rates remain level through 2026. Uh, there were rate adjustments in 2023 for the year two provision above, as well as some uh, certain enhancements that were brought to the plan and approved by this board uh, this time last year. Um, the next couple pages just look at, you know, what's happening with the comparison of uh, premium and claims over the course of time. You know, overall, VSP has been a great partner. Uh, generally speaking, the expense in the plan has been greater than the premiums collected. Um, and, you know, we've been working to, you know, try to gently uh, get the loss ratio, uh, you know, back to an expectation more premium uh, and claims fees are, are, are relatively consistent. Uh, but just, you know, this does point out that with the introduction of the premier plan in 2018, uh, but to put financial pressure overall, uh, but it's been a very successful benefit as we'll see in here through um, what's happened with enrollment over the course of time. So on page 11, you know, generally speaking, the premium for the basic plan is, um, you know, the, the greater than the claims and fees for that plan, but it's more than made up for uh, on page 12 uh, by what happens in the premier plan and the experience there. But you can see then on the next page, you know, here's where the success of the premier plan is, is played out. It was first introduced in 2018, 15% uh, of membership elected it. You can see now that percentage is more than doubled. Uh, almost one third of SFHSS uh, members enrolled in a VSP vision plan are actually choosing to be in the premier plan. They're choosing, you know, pay a higher um, member contribution, but also uh, for a richer level, level, level of benefits. So this is a definite success story over this course of time as the enrollment continues to increase every single year. So for 2024, uh, no change in rates. The 2023 rates will remain the same uh, as they are for uh, 20, uh, 2023 rates will remain the same as in 2024. And that also means the member paid contribution rate for the premier plan, as you'll see on page 15, also remains the same uh, from 2023 to 2024. So with that, on page 17, uh, the recommendation uh, to this board is it is recommended that the Health Service Board approve the 2024 VSP Vision Plan insured premium rates and premier plan member contributions as outlined below, where the 2024 rates remain at 2023 levels for the basic plan, premier plan, and CVC benefit. President Scott. Are there any questions from the members of the board? Hearing none, I'm ready to entertain a motion. Um, President Scott, I move that we accept the VSP uh, vision fully insured 2024 rates and contribution as presented by um, Mr. Uh, Clark. Second. Right. It's been properly moved and seconded that we accept the recommendation as presented and described. Any further questions from the board? Hearing none, we're now ready for public comment.
Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public <coughs> comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our remote public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have two callers on the phone line. Zero callers have entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers on the line, you must dial star three now if you wish to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We'll wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. We'll now take a uh, roll call vote. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. And Commissioner Zavansky. Aye. The motion carries unanimously. We're now ready for item number uh, 14. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number 14, review and approve retiree 2024 dental rates and contributions for fully insured plans, including Delta Dental PPO plan, Delta Care USA HMO, UHC Delta HMO. This is an action item and will be presented by Mike Clark with AM. Mike this, Clark, AM. Excuse me, and this is the first rate approval for retirees for the plan year of 2024. Just want to put a few benchmarks here. Uh, the one note, Vision is offered both active and retirees. And, and retiree. This is the first retiree specific, right. correct? Yes. Um, so the three plans that are offered uh, include the uh, Delta Dental PPO as well as the two HMO plans from Delta Care and United Healthcare. Those are the uh, rate recommendations, which I'll seek from you today. Just a reminder on the bottom of the agenda page is we'll present active employee uh, dental 2024 rate renewals at our next health service board meeting in May. Uh, so the recommendation summaries uh, ask the, the health service board approve uh, the dental rates as presented uh, that I'll present here shortly. Just to get context of the enrollment distribution age of the plan, you know, by far uh, the most number of enrolled retirees are in the Delta Dental PPO. Um, with almost 23,000 uh, enrolled retirees, but there are also you know, significant populations in each of the two dental HMOs. Uh, the recommendation summary that I'll take you through for the Delta Dental Retiree PPO, an insured rate increase of 2% uh, from 2023 to 2024. Uh, this is the first year of a three-year renewal cycle with Delta Dental, so it would be the first year of a three-year rating commitment uh, for annual 2% increases through 2026 for Delta Dental. Uh, for Delta Care USA, uh, the percentage may look high, but just to remind this board, there was a uh, one-time benefit to retirees in this plan for 2023 uh, as a result of claim suppression benefit to the rates. So as I'll walk through the rates I'm asking to approve today for this specific plan, the Delta Care USA fully insured dental HMO are the same rates that were in place in 2022. Even though there was the dip in 2023, that was a recognition of a um, kind of a, a suppression 
credit that was given uh, to the retirees in this plan. And then United Healthcare uh, insured plan rates remain the same for 2024. And these are all fully insured plans, so I'm not gonna go through the same slides that I just walked through, but uh, just a reminder that each of these plans are fully insured where the rates are set by the, uh, the health plans. And then on page eight, uh, these are the 2023 premiums. You know, as a reminder, the retirees do pay uh, the full premium of this plan uh, to enroll in each of these three plans. Uh, 2023, uh, just as a reminder, was the second year of a two-year rating agreement with Delta Dental. Uh, so the, uh, the rates are generally uh, presented on a multi-year basis for Delta. Uh, United Healthcare generally quoted on an annual basis. Uh, last year, the retiree PPO rates, so into 2023, the present year did increase by 7.7% to reflect two specific benefit enhancements that took place for January 1st, 2023, both aimed to increase use uh, preventive dental services by plan members. Uh, one was to migrate the plan paid coinsurance from 80% to 100% uh, for the premier dentists, uh, utilization of diagnostic and preventive services. And the second was to reduce the deductible uh, to $50 single 100 family uh, for use of premier dentists as well as non-contracted dentists. And then again, I explained earlier the Delta Care uh, retiree HMO had a one-time rate reduction uh, to reflect that uh, pandemic suppression credit uh, for the plan. So moving ahead to page 11, uh, the Delta Dental PPO renewal, uh, it is the first year now of a new three-year uh, rating agreement. Just some experience observations. You know, we'd like to see higher utilization, especially of preventive services of this plan. Um, about two-thirds of the total utilization of the plan is diagnostic and preventive services. Um, we did see a little bit higher uh, utilization of uh, people having at least one dental cleaning in 2022 at 67% versus 66% the year before, uh, but it's still lower than the percentage of total uh, covered lives in this plan that used uh, at least one dental cleaning in 2019. And that was really the goal of the 2023 uh, plan design changes. Uh, from a network distribution, uh, you know, we know there's a lot of conversation about, um, you know, the network and how it's, how it's evolved. You can see here that there is higher utilization. There's always been higher utilization of the premier network uh, relative to the PPO network. Um, there was higher utilization also in 2022 versus 2021 of the total service distribution uh, going to non-contracted dentists. Uh, as you see here, that jumped from 7% of total service distribution in 2021 uh, to 9% of total service distribution in 2022. Uh, you can see how the evolution of the percentage of the total population has changed from 2029 you know, through pandemic suppression in 2020, uh, now to 2022 with the percentage of uh, members who are not seeking a cleaning. And then again, that distribution over the course of longer time as well, where you can see the increased percentage over time in total services going to non-contracted dentists. So from a renewal standpoint, uh, you know, basing off of 2023, um, looking at expected dental trend, uh, Delta Dental has uh, proposed a 2% increase to premium rates in the 2024. 
Uh, this reflects not only just kind of typical dental trend, but also uh, recent increases in fee schedule payments to certain Delta Dental providers uh, that took place in late 2023. So moving to the Delta Care USA, uh, retiree HMO plan renewal on page 16. Again, 2023, just an explanation of the premium refund that was built into the premium rates uh, on a one-time basis for 2023. And so when you look at the chart on page 17, you'll see how the proposed 2024 rates by Delta Dental uh, return to where those rates were in 2022. And then finally, United Healthcare Retiree HMO Plan Renewal. Uh, very simple, uh, rates holding again, um, where there was a rate hold uh, for 2023, and the 2024 rating action is also a rate hold, just a reminder that UHC does not provide uh, multi-year rate quotations for the plan. So with that, I go to page 21, and um, it is recommended that the Health Service Board approve the following 2024 plan year retiree dental plan rate actions based on the specific information uh, provided earlier in this document. You know, most specifically, 2% um, increase in the Delta dental PPO rates, you know, a 9.1%, but again, returning to 2022 rate levels uh, for Delta care USA Dental HMO and no change for UHC Dental HMO. President Scott. All right. Uh, you've heard the presentation. Are there questions from members of the board? If not, I'm ready to entertain a motion. Um, can I ask a question? Question, yes. Thank you. Commissioner Savansky. Um, to what extent has the um, expansion of the SmileWay program, the addition out of it, and the expansion of the SmileWay program impacted any of the rates we're looking at? Um, I can ask a Delta Dental representative to ask, uh, speak about rate impact. We have seen a higher number of members come into Smileway, most notably because of information that's now being passed securely between Kaiser and Delta Dental just to increase the identification um, of individuals who are eligible combined with the Smileway program recently increasing from five chronic conditions to nine. Uh, for part of that identification. So I can speak to that. If there's anything further, I, I would ask for a Delta Dental representative to speak. Okay. Is there a Delta Thank Dental you. person in the room today? Yes. Do you have any comment or observation in response to Commissioner Savansky's question? And I realize it might be a premature question. It is, but um, thank you, Julie Fernandez, Delta Dental Insurance Company account manager. It is, um, so we did go from the five conditions to 14, so there were nine additional ones. And we ex we didn't expect there to be a, a, a huge impact in terms of the utilization. It's really gonna be beneficial for those members that are experiencing those chronic conditions to allow them additional cleanings as we continue to strive to get those preventive services up. So it, it, I apologize, I don't, it's, we're three months in right, um, so with it, but overtime. we're excited to see how it, um, how it impacts in a positive way for the overall population. Great, thank okay. you. We'll look thank forward for, to that. Thank you for that comment. Are there any other questions? If not, we're, I'm ready to entertain a motion. Um, President Scott, I move that we approve the retiree 2024 dental rates. Um, for Delta Dental PPO, um, Delta Care Plan, Delta Care, excuse me, Delta Care USA HMO, UHC Dental 
um, yeah, for all of these fully insured plans. Page all right. 21. I'll second the motion. It's been properly moved and seconded that we approve the recommendations right. as uh, presented and discussed by our actuary regarding dental coverage for our plan retirees. We'll now have public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star through E to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our remote public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are two callers on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers on the line. You must dial star three now if you wish to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We'll wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now have a roll call vote. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Helm. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. And Commissioner Zvansky. Aye. The motion carries unanimously. We're now ready for the final rates and benefit item for this meeting. Item 15. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number 15, Sutter Health Legal Settlement, Settlement 2024 Recommended Rating Buy-Down Action per the Health Service Board Policy 213 for BSC HMO and UHC EPO plans and non-Medicare PPO plan. This is an action item and will be presented by Mike Clark with AN. Excuse me, just so that we have a bit of context on this, there was a settlement that resulted in, I think it was 16 or $17 million of funds coming to the trust. And we created a board policy on how we might utilize those funds going forward. And this is the first time that we've taken, at, we'll be taking action on this fund's utilization based on uh, the recommendations that are going to be presented. And I think it needs to just be noted for the record that that's what we're doing. This is not sort of created out of whole cloth. We went through the terms of reference approval a few months ago, and we knew that this would be coming. So this is our first time to act on this type of uh, result. Please. No, thank you, President Scott. Mike Clark Ann, uh, presenting on the first application of Health Service Board Policy 213, uh, specifically for the plans you see on the agenda page. The HMO plans, which are administered by Blue Shield of California, so Access Plus and Trio, uh, as well as the United Healthcare Split Family Life EPO plans, because really those covered lives um, fit under this HMO uh, plan construct as well as the non-Medicare PPO plan, which is administered, as we talked earlier, primarily by Blue Shield, but also for split family lives um, by United Healthcare. 
And so today's recommendation will culminate with our rating buy-down action to reflect uh, monies received by HFS, SFHSS to date um, as of today. So uh, today's recommendation in congruence with the new um, Health Service Board Legal Settlement Policy 213 is recommended that the Health Service Board approve the use of Sutter Health Legal Settlement dollars received by SFHSS to date for use in 2024 health plan rating buy-downs uh, for the Blue Shield uh, Access Plus and Trio plans that include the non-Medicare split family lives in UHC EPO plans, as well as the non-Medicare PPO plan. Uh, that is administered by Blue Shield and UHC. And they were plans that were offered at the time that uh, the Sutter Health actions in question transpired, hence that's why they are selected uh, for the rating buy-down of settlement dollars in today's presentation. Uh, so as President Scott noted, uh, starting on page five, uh, Health Service Board Policy 213 is new. I won't uh, read this, but over the next uh, two pages on pages uh, five and six, uh, you see the entirety of the Legal Settlement Policy 213, uh, just for reference, uh, as we go through this discussion. So moving forward to page eight, uh, some background on this specific uh, legal settlement. In December 2019, Sutter Health did reach an agreement uh, to resolve an antitrust lawsuit with United Food and Commercial Workers and Employee Benefit Trust, or UEBP, on behalf of a class of California self-funded payers and the California Attorney General. The settlement resolved two antitrust lawsuits involving a dispute over Sutter Health's approach to contracting with insurance companies as an integrated system. Uh, the first of those two lawsuits is a class action lawsuit brought in 2014 on behalf of various group health plans that provide for employees and members health insurance, uh, known as self-funded payers. And the second of the lawsuits was a lawsuit brought by the California Attorney General in 2018. California-based self-funded group health plans who are class members have started to receive financial payments with amounts determined by the plaintiffs and subject to a plan of allocation approved by the court. An independent claims administrator is responsible for all claims administration and providing information to the settlement class members. At the top of the next page, page nine, SFHSS is a settlement class member and as such has received approximately 16 million of what's anticipated to be, uh, by the time all monies are paid out, uh, 17 million settlement award uh, as part of the overall 575 million settlement award uh, for these lawsuits. And you can see the allocation of the dollars received by SFHSS to date is calculated um, in, in close coordination with SFHSS by plan type. So for the Blue Shield HMO and UHC EPO plans, $11,848,356. And for the non-Medicare PPO plan, $2,943,342. So the remainder of this presentation discusses the proposed allocation methodology of the Sutter Health Legal Settlement dollars received to date into the 2024, you know, self-funded, whereas the footnote notes that includes flex-funded plans, uh, rating buy-downs uh, for the Blue Shield HMO and UHC EPO plans, as well as the non-Medicare PPO plan. Further health, uh, Sutter Health Legal Settlement dollars may or may not be forthcoming beyond the amounts outlined above. Should SFHSS receive any additional settlement amounts between March 2023 and March 2024, 
SFHSS would then apply them to rating buy-downs on the plans outlined above for the 2025 plan year, obviously pursuant to the board, uh, this board approving this recommendation. So with that, uh, page 11. Um, walking through uh, the first of two pages for the calculation and rating by down recommendations, you know, how we arrived at the application of the 11,848,356 uh, for the Blue Shield Access Plus and TRIO HMO plans, as well as the UHC split family EPO plans. Um, so when we look at this amount of money and how it translates to the expected total cost for these HMO plans of about 375 million, for 2024, uh, that converts to a uh, approximate 3.2% of expected 2024 plan costs. So there is some precedent for you know buy down, buy up calculations, and that is the rate stabilization uh, calculations that we do each year based on the recommendations of the board uh, for each of the plans. And so it is recommended to allocate these funds in 2024 rating buy downs proportionally by dependent coverage tier for active employees and early retirees to be consistent to how those amounts are distributed uh, in rate stabilization calculations. So spread in the rate cards across active employees and early retirees by tier so that the total projected allocation based on what we know the enrollment to be in each tier uh, for each of those populations for these plans um, you know, equals the 11,848,356. Uh, dollars. So you can see then on the next page, page 12, uh, this is the data that we're working with to make this determination, uh, make this allocation recommendation for ultimately on a monthly basis uh, across each of these six tiers. So three for active employees, three for early retirees, um, the amounts monthly for the legal settlement 2024 rating buy down that you will see then next month in our recommendations on the rating for this plan uh, in the May board meeting. And then uh, for the non-Medicare PPO plan, pages 13 and 14, you know, very similar approach, obviously different dollars, uh, different population, but um, the $2,943,342, you know, based on what we know about the plan enrollment today, um, on page 14 is recommended to translate into the monthly amount for legal settlement 2024 rating buy-down amounts that you see in the table at the bottom of page 14. So with that, uh, to close the document on page 16, in congruence with the new Health Service Board Legal Settlement Policy 213 is recommended that the Health Service Board approve the use of Sutter Health legal settlement dollars received by SFHSS to date for use in the 2024 health plan rating buy-downs uh, for the following plans as presented in this material. The Blue Shield of California, Access Plus and TRIO HMO plans that include the non-Medicare split family lives in the UHC EPO plans and the non-Medicare PPO plan administered by Blue Shield and UHC as described in this material. President Scott. Thank you for the presentation. Are there questions or comments from the board at this point regarding uh, this presentation? It's just noted that we are using all of the settlement money for this uh, coming out of the settlement that we have received to date 
in one fell swoop. That's just for the record, simplistically stated. I know that we've gone through other presentations that we've talked about using a third of something and retaining a third and so forth. That is not what we have decided to do with this legal settlement policy in our terms of uh, reference. So it's all being applied this year. So any benefit in 2025 that might come from something else, we can't speak to that today. I just want to make that point of clarification for the record. All right. With no further questions, I'm now ready to hear or comments. I'd like to have a motion. Uh, Mr. President, uh, I move that we approve the use of the Sutter Health Legal Settlement dollars received for the uh, rating buy-down plans as presented. Second. It's been properly moved and seconded that we accept the presentation that's provided by the actuary and by board policy for the buy-down of rates for the plans that are as presented and described. Are there further questions from the board? Comments? If not, we will have public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first and then remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star 3 to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. Uh, Good afternoon, Commissioners Dennis Kruger, retired active firefighters and spouses. I'm sure it's been discussed before, but there must be a lot of people looking in at this hearing, or excuse me, commission meeting, they'll like to know why Medicare recipients are not included in on this. And maybe you can explain it to them as well as to me. Thank you. All right, thank you. Uh, We'll turn to the executive director and our actuary. Do you have an explanation or a response? I'm going to defer uh, to Iftikhar, CFO. Our chief financial officer. The last meeting. Yes, the litigation um, uh, did not involve Medicare. It was only self-employed, self-assured health plans, commercial plans. Um, And so the the principle we're using in the trust accounting is that the affected groups match as closely as possible to where the litigation, the damages um, uh, were awarded. All right. So the settlement did not involve Medicare care recipients, correct. correct? Correct. And the principle that we're applying is that the affected population would be the beneficiary of the funds received. Exactly. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. Thank you. Are there any other public comments in the room? Thank you. We'll now move to a remote public comment, and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are two callers on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers on the line. You must dial star three now if you wish to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We'll wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item.
Board Secretary. There are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now take a roll call vote. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. Commissioner Zemanski. Aye. It passes unanimously. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Mike, you've done yeoman work for today. <laughs> I'll be back. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We appreciate that. Perfect. You need All to right. have a different attitude with that comment. Yeah. <laughs> We're now back to regular board matters and uh, item 16. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number 16 is reports and updates from contracted health plan representatives. This is a discussion item, and anyone can approach the podium. Are there any comments, updates? Retractions, revisions from <laughs> any of our plan uh, representatives for today. This is your chance. Thank you. We're adjourning this meeting according to my timeline an hour early or yeah. 45 minutes early. And with that, the meeting of the Health Service Board, uh, we have to have public comment on plan representative uh, updates since there were none. There's nothing for the public to comment on. So we're now going to move to item 17, which is to adjourn this meeting at this time. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you, President Scott. Adjournment at 3.33 p.m. Yes. You got out 45 minutes early. TV.